0: Okay, you got Second Timothy four? If you would please let's stand as we read Scripture. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Let's read it again, shall we? You can read along silently as I read out loud. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Dear Father, help us tonight as we look at this to understand what you've said and to live in light of it. Please, I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. If I were asked what the most misunderstood things in our circles, that is in Independent, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching circles. If I were asked what are the most misunderstood things in our circles, I would name two things. Preaching and invitations. Now, I know all of us think we know what preaching is when we hear it, but I'm convinced, personally, that most of us don't understand fundamentally what it means to preach. Or to hear preaching. And I think the same is true about an invitation. I think there's a lot of... With good people and godly people and people who love the Lord, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about the invitation. Now, if you want to understand an invitation, you've got to understand preaching. And the best definition of preaching I know of is found in 2 Timothy 4.2. Now, it's not the only place... And it's found not only by statement, as is the case in Second Timothy 4, but it's found also by illustration. I love it when the kids go in and out here. They all bow down, you know, as if nobody can see them. I think that's really great. Uh, the answer to that is have all the kids sit in the back with the backsliders. That, that would take care of all that. You know I'm kidding, don't you? Okay. Did I you the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, can, can we get back to preaching? Okay. So what is preaching? Well, while it's illustrated for us often in scriptures, Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, the Lord Jesus in his preaching um, on the mount, and uh, I love Stephen's sermon, Stephen's sermon, but all of them illustrate it, but what is the definition? All right, in the Bible it says preach the word. The word preach there is the word herald as a prophet. So Harold as a prophet the word there are 3 elements in preaching and if any one of these elements is not present then what you're hearing is not preaching there are 3 elements number 1 authority preach the word now listen every bible preacher every god called preacher preaches the bible and the authority for a preacher is the bible it's not his experience. It's not the breadth or length of his ministry. It is the Bible. Somebody says, man, he is a, he's really a successful preacher. He preaches to 2,000 people every week. That doesn't make him successful. The question is, does his authority come from the Bible? Now, if I preach and I say I think this is what we should do. That has some value, but not much. But if I preach and say, Thus saith the Lord, that's very valuable. So all preaching has authority. You're going to have to 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 know these before you get out tonight, so remember, number one, authority. Number two, persuasion. Uh, The Bible says, Preach the word, be in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. The word reprove means... To convince or convict. We've misunderstood this, too. Somebody says, oh, he came to church and he was under conviction. You could see it. He grabbed the chair in front of him or the pew, and you could see his knuckles were turning white, and he was under conviction. That's not necessarily conviction. It may be. Conviction doesn't mean you hear something and you're frightened by it. It means you're convinced of its truth. So if I hear the wages of sin is death, good to see you back, young lady. If I hear the wages of sin is death, I am convinced of the judgment for my sin. That would be frightening, would it not? But if I hear the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, I wouldn't be grabbing the pew, I'd be smiling because I would be convinced of it. When the Holy Spirit has come... He will reprove the world of sin, judgment, and righteousness. In other words, he convinces the world. Part of what a preacher does is similar to what a lawyer would do before a jury. He gives the evidence. He has his authority, the evidence, and he seeks to persuade people. So you have authority and persuasion. Number three is teaching with all longsuffering and doctrine. Let me say this. Bible preaching always has teaching. Are you listening? Always, 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 always. Bible preaching always has teaching. Now, some Bible preachers are more teachy. Some Bible preachers are more persuasive. Isn't that true? Have you ever heard a guy, I, I, I tend to like, like this, but have you ever heard a guy uh, that when he preaches, you're just, you're just persuaded? I mean, when he finishes preaching, you want to go out and burn a building or shoot a communist or do something. Have you ever heard a guy like that? Um, I call them, I I probably shouldn't do this, but I call them bless God preachers. Because they say things like, bless God, I may be a nut, but I'm screwed on the right bolt." Amen? Uh, Or they say things like, well, what you're saying is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's what you're saying. Well, let me say this, brother. Water him down or salt him down first. Amen? Salt that horse down first. And you think, wow, that's powerful. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Salt him down first. Then you go home and you say to yourself, what did that mean? <laughs> so you're persuaded, but to what? And then you have guys that are very authoritative. How many of you people have heard Ron Comfort? Anybody? Okay. I talked to Brother Ron yesterday. What would be one of the dominant characteristics of Brother Comfort's preaching? Yeah, quoting the scripture. Very good. Okay, so quoting scripture. So that's true. So I have often said to Brother Ron that he is um, an illustration of Bible authority from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, which, by the way, is not a great distance, but nonetheless. Um, when brother Now, I'm not saying that Brother Ron does not persuade people, he does. I'm not saying he doesn't teach people, he does, but he's dominant in his authority. You're following this? So you have some that are dominant in persuasion, you have others that are dominant in authority and others that are very good teachers. Now, not only is that true among preachers, but it's true in situations. For example, suppose the pastor were going to teach a series on the book of Romans, and he's going he's to preach it on Sunday nights. And so the first Sunday night, all he does is what I call waste a pitch. You know what it means to waste a pitch? How many of you know what that means? Okay, a pitcher is trying to get a guy out, and the guy is a highball hitter. So he throws a ball that's real high, it's out of the strike zone, hoping that the guy will go after it. But what he has in mind, two pitches later, is a fastball low and inside. So he sets him up. The first pitch, he doesn't care if it's a strike or not. He's just setting the guy up for what's following. Okay, so a preacher may take an entire service to, quote, set you up to get you ready so that he can lower the boom later. That's one of the advantages of a revival campaign. You can be real nice on Sunday morning, be a little meaner on Sunday night, be uh, uh, meaner on Monday night, meaner on Tuesday night, and by Wednesday night, you're Donald Trump. So these are things, <laughs> these are things you can do if you can waste a pitch. So some, not every service has authority, persuasion, and teaching. You might have just authority or just teaching. You might give the history of Romans and the author of Romans and what people have said about Romans before you're into the book. You're following this? All right. But all Bible preaching, even though it may encompass more than one service, all Bible preaching has all three elements. So the three elements are authority, persuasion, and teaching. Now, are you with me? Okay. You're going to have to repeat this back to me. There are three elements in preaching. The first one is? Second one is? And the third one is? All right. Every Bible preacher, therefore, seeks to persuade from that which is wrong to that which is right, from that which is good to that which is better, from that which is better to that which is best. In other words, every Bible preached message seeks to persuade people. And therefore, you have the invitation. The invitation is given in the Bible-preached message. The invitation is not something that's added on at the end. Now, that's what we've all thought that it is. Because we've had good men that probably shouldn't say this, but they say things like, and now we come to the invitation. When did the invitation start? Well, basically, with the first song in the service. When did the invitation start? Well, when he got up and gave his text. Because the idea was to persuade people to a certain truth. So that every, I know I'm repeating, Bible preached message has an invitation to it. Are there invitations stated in the Bible? Yes, okay. Do any of these invitations have music? <coughs> no. No. Do any of these invitations request that you move geographically? No, they require a decision. Is that correct? Okay, that's what an invitation is in a service. I've heard good people say this. Well, there was no visible results in this service tonight, but we know that the word of God does not return void. I've always thought that statement is disingenuous. Because the issue is not primarily whether or not you see the decision. The issue is whether or not it is made. Now, let me ask you a question. Nobody here but us, so I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you people have ever been in a service, and you heard something preached, and you said, you know, that's right, and I need to incorporate that in my life, and right where you were sitting before the pastor ever said, bow your heads, you said, dear God, help me to do that. You made a decision in the service. But because there wasn't an invitation given, to come forward, or, or because you didn't feel like you needed to go forward, or you were uh, afraid, or you were embarrassed, or you didn't want to be in front of people, you, you didn't go forward, but you made a decision. Can I see your hand? Okay, now hold them up and look around. It's virtually all of us. I've been in many services where I made a decision where I didn't go forward. pastor came to the ranch several years ago, and I've never forgotten this. He told the story of a young girl who cheated in her school. I think it was a Christian school. And so this pastor, in his message, mentioned uh, that cheating was wrong. And how many of you, I know it would be embarrassing, but you would say, I, I've cheated in school, and you want to make that right. And this girl raised her hand. And then he said, if, if that's the decision you're making, come forward. And she did. And then he said, now you need to go home and tell your parents. Okay, now, now think with me. She balked. I cheated in school. Will you come forward? I'll come forward. She came in tears. She asked God's forgiveness and she received it. I know that because that's what the Bible says. Okay, so she received Forgiveness. And then the preacher said, you need to go home and tell your parents. And she balked for, I think, fairly obvious reasons. But nonetheless, she didn't want to tell her parents. And this pastor said to us at the ranch, she didn't make a decision. Yes, she did. She made two. She said, God, I'm wrong about cheating. And God, I want to go forward. Now, for whatever reason, we'll get to that in a minute. And uh, tell the preacher that I cheated. So she made two decisions. Couldn't you say that? Okay, she didn't make the third one. But the point is, it's the third one. To say that she didn't tell her parents meant that she didn't mean decision number one is wrong. It is clearly not true. That's not the point. The question was, did you cheat? Yes. Do you know that's wrong? Yes. Do you want to make that right? Yes. Nobody said, well, in order to make that right, you've got to come forward, cry, and pray, and then go home and tell your parents. Now, I I think it would have been good if she told her parents. Don't you? But that's another decision. So preach on that tomorrow night. How many of you came forward last night and said you cheated and you're sorry about it? Hey, God bless you. How many of you would say tonight... I'm going to promise God and you, preacher, that I'm going to go home and tell my parents. Are you following this? Okay. So somebody says, if you really meant it, brother, you'd go forward. Why? Mary and I were in a revival about 10 years ago in the Thumb area of Michigan. You folks know where that is, don't you? Small town, they all are. There were three churches in this. We called it a, uh, uh, an area wide. There were three churches in the revival. And so we met in one church. The auditorium was about half the length of this one and about this wide. And there was no room up here. This is an amazing room you have on the platform. There were no rooms to the side. Um, when I preached, I was, I was standing about right here. And so there was no room for people to come forward. So in that revival, if anybody wanted to respond by, quote, coming forward, We had men at the back door. And at the back door, there was a foyer the same size as yours. And across the foyer, there was a large Sunday school room. And in that Sunday school room, we had chairs and cards. And counselors would take people who had made decisions across the foyer and into the Sunday school room and pray with them and answer questions and and counsel. Okay, so everybody with me? All right. On Thursday night of that revival campaign, after preaching... The question was asked, how many here would like to be saved? And two men raised their hand. Isn't that wonderful? Two men raised their hand. So the preacher said, well, if you'd like to be saved, trust the Lord Jesus. Then he said, if you will go to the back of the auditorium... There are men there, there are ladies there, there are people that will talk with teens. If you're a man, a man will talk to you. If you're a lady, a lady will talk to you. They'll meet you at the back, they'll ask you why you've come. You tell them, I've come because I'm trusting Christ tonight. And then somebody will give you information that will be a help to you and pray with you and answer questions. Is this good? Okay. Both men that raised their hand when we stood and... Had softly and tenderly or just as I am or where he leads me, I will follow or whatever. Both men made their way to the back and met a counselor and both men were saved. Now, that's wonderful, isn't it? Okay. Now, suppose I'm explaining this service to you and you didn't know anything about it. And I say to you, you know, we had a revival in the thumb area of Michigan. And on Thursday night, praise God, two men went backwards. What would that mean to you? What would that mean to you? Nothing. Okay. What does praise God? We had two men come forward. What would that mean? Are you listening? Nothing. That's not the decision. The decision is, will you trust Christ? See, okay. Then somebody says, well, all right. So let's, let me see. Preaching is persuading you persuade people, the Bible does, to trust the Lord Jesus. They respond to that, and um, well, why, 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 can't they, why can't they go forward? Well, let me ask you a more salient question. What purpose is served if they do go forward? Why do we ask people to come forward in an independent Baptist church? Now, there are several reasons, but there are two major reasons, and If I may, let's go through these, okay? Two reasons. Number one is encouragement for the body. Encouragement for the church. Here's what the Bible says. This is in Hebrews chapter 10. The Bible says that we are to provoke, stir up one another unto love and good works. So part of the reason that we meet as a church is for the purpose of stirring up provoking one another unto love and good works. We come here to encourage other people, and that's part of what we seek to do in a public service. So when you make a decision, it's where you are, it's in your head, it's in your heart. But the reason you're asked to come forward may be simply to be a testimony or encourage the church. Does that make sense? Suppose I said... uh, This morning, um, a man was saved. Well, you'd say, I didn't know that. Well, of course you didn't, because nobody came forward. I don't know that a man was saved this morning. I was able to give the gospel to a man after the service, because the dear people who brought him introduced him to me, and his wife, um, and, and we were just talking. I said to him, have you ever trusted Christ? He said, no, I haven't. I said, have you thought about it? He said, yes, I have. I said, did what you heard this morning make sense? He said, yes, it did. I said, well, would, would you like to trust Christ? He said, well, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Well, I think all that's good, don't you? All right, but the point is you don't know about any of that except I've told you. And I've told you to make a point in illustration and also to encourage your heart. I think that's great. I told the pastor at lunch, pastor said, we'll follow him up. I'm I'm praying that that dear dear gentleman will trust Christ. See, I, I think he can, and I think that's good. But the issue is not will he come forward. The issue is will he trust Christ? Okay, so why come forward? Number one, for encouragement, to encourage you. Remember all those decisions that you made and you didn't go forward that we talked about earlier? None of us knew about it. Brother Burden raised his hand. He made decisions. We didn't know what they were. I think one of them was he's going to stop smoking cigars. But I don't know. I don't know exactly what they were. But see, wouldn't it be a blessing? Now, it's not necessary to the decision, but it's helpful to the church. You following this? Number two is so that people can be counseled. Now, this is what we've fallen down on most, I think, in our circles Invitations. When when people come forward, they need to be greeted and prayed with generally. They need to be encountered, they need to have questions answered, and it's difficult to do that in the auditorium. I don't mind if you do it, I'm not opposed to your doing it, but at the ranch we take them outside. And I think that's best. You can do it any way you want to, but I think it's best. I remember when I first started in revivals, I used to get so bothered by this, the pastor would send up and he He'd say, now we had, uh, we had several people come forward this morning, and we're so grateful. I've got two cards, and he'd, he'd read the names. Um, and then he'd say, and then um, Mrs. Smithers is talking to this dear lady. Do you have the card ready yet, uh, Mrs. Smithers? No, no. Okay, Mrs. Smithers is talking to this lady, and we're all praying for this lady. And Mrs. Smithers, do you, you have the card yet, uh, Mrs. No, she doesn't. Well, I don't know. They're talking about something like what it means to be saved. I don't know, something like that. Um, Any announcements? Uh, How about the bus director? Any announcements? Any announcements from the kitty meetings? Any announcements from the young. You have the card ready yet, Mrs. Smithers? No. Okay, now that bothers me because that misses the whole point. Let Mrs. Smithers counsel this dear lady to Christ. Make sense? So counseling is important. Now, let me give you an illustration. My dad preached in a church that was a real soul winning church. They had people that would go out and win people every week. And I love that. And this would have been, my goodness, this would have been 40 years ago. So the pastor and my dad were good friends. And the pastor said to my dad, now I'm making up the numbers. I don't remember the numbers. It's not important. So I'm making them up. The pastor said, this week, soul winners in the church have won 15 people to Christ. The church was large, 3,000. This week, the soul winners in the church have won 15 people on visitation to Christ. And those 15 people are going to be here. They promise to be here on Sunday morning and they should respond to the invitation to make a public profession of their faith in Christ. Okay, is it wonderful to win people at home? Yes or no? Is it good for those people to publicly profess faith in Christ, yes or no? Okay, so this preacher was teasing my dad, and he said, Bill, if we have 15 saved this morning in the service, that'll be fine. If we have more than 15 saved, you're doing a great job. If we have less than 15, you're a detriment to the church. Now, he was just, he and dad were just having fun. Okay, now, I don't remember the numbers again, but for illustration, I will say there were 20 people that morning who had come over the matter of salvation. 20 people. Okay, if you were in the service and somebody said to you, how many people were saved this morning at this Baptist church? You'd say 20 people, but that would not have been correct. How many were saved this morning? Five. 15 were saved last week. Now, now don't misunderstand me. I'm all for all of that. I'm for the public professions. But don't equate people moving geographically in an auditorium to decisions. See, decisions are decisions. And it's important for us to make them. And you know what? It'd be important for you and me to be more open in making decisions in our own church. Now, please don't be offended because this is not meant to be anything but a help. Look. If God speaks to your heart, and if you are making a valid, legitimate, genuine, helpful decision, at least occasionally, I think it'd be good if you'd respond in the service so that other people would know that God's speaking to your heart. Can I see your heart? Can I hear God when he's speaking to you? No, no. Okay, so how would I know that when the pastor preaches... And the Holy Spirit works, that God's dealing with your heart. Well, one way I could know it is if you would get up and come to the front and tell the pastor and have a word of prayer and go back. They said, Brother Rice, but I, I already made the decision in my seat. I know that. I think most people do. When I give the gospel, it is my desire that people will be saved where they're seated. And then I'd like to encourage them to come for counsel. But I, I, I never have thought, well, if they're really saved, they'd always come forward. Why would they? It's new to them. Why would they? See, um, for example, this is a habit of mine. I've done this for many years. If a fellow raises his hand in the service, I don't want to embarrass him. But if I can, I meet them after. So pastor will say, Brother Rice, you go with your wife back to the book table, this has happened scores of times, and I don't go anyplace because I want to meet this guy. So I'll, I'll walk back, five or six pews, and I'll shake hands with a couple of people, then I'll walk up to the guy and I'll shake his hand and say, my name's Bill, and he'll say, my name is Raymond, or whatever, and he'll tell me his name, and I'll say, listen, I wouldn't embarrass you for the world, but I noticed you raised your hand asking for prayer about salvation tonight. And then I'll say, has anybody ever showed you how to be saved, and he'll say no. And I'll say, well, could I just take a few minutes and show you how to be saved, or could the pastor? And I would say 85%, 90% of the time, they'll say yes. And so then you'll sit down with the fella and lead them to Christ. Now let me ask you a question. What kept that man from coming forward? Was it he didn't want to trust Christ, or was it something else? I remember teaching in a class. You visited the class once, and I was teaching about uh, evangelistic preaching and how to give the gospel and so on and so forth. And this student raised his hand and said, aren't you making salvation too easy? Now, I want you to think about his question. This is important. Aren't you making salvation too easy? What he meant was, aren't you making it too easy for people to come forward? That's not salvation. And you can not make salvation easier than it is. It's trust or believe. And arguably, it's either very easy or very difficult depending upon the person. You know, trusting in Christ is not as easy as some would have us believe it is. It's a life-changing decision. And it's not necessarily easy, especially for a person that's just recently heard the truth of the gospel. So this student said to me, aren't you making it too easy? And I, I said, you can't make it easy enough. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, would you come forward in the service tonight if this were the invitation? I don't want to trivialize the invitation. I'm, I'm giving you an illustration. Okay? All right. Here's the invitation. How many of you people, this is scary, Pastor, how many of you people love the pastor? I do. Okay, you love the pastor. And how many of you people would support the pastor As best you know how, when the pastor is following what he believes to be the Lord's leadership, would you support the pastor? Can I see your hand? Okay. Now, suppose I said, I love the pastor. You love the pastor. We're going to have Brother Kevin play um, Nearer My God to Thee. And if God spoke in your heart, you love the pastor, you want to support the pastor, I want you to leave where you're standing, come down, shake the pastor's hand, and go back and, and sit down. Would you do that? Okay. You're responding to an invitation. Well, you say, yeah, but that would be easy. Of course it is. I understand that. But any invitation would be easy if it's easy up here. If you'd say, okay, I'm making a decision. I want people in the church to know it. And so, therefore, I'm, I'm going to respond. Are you still following me? Okay. Um, it's prayer meeting. You have any requests? I I do. I do. I do, uh, Pastor. Um, Um, I'm on a diet. This is not me. This is us. I'm on a diet and pray that I'll stay on the diet. I've been on 16 in the last two months, and so pray with me that I'll stay on the diet. That would be fine, wouldn't it? Okay, you're saying that to the church. Isn't that okay? Isn't that okay? Because we love each other, don't we? And we want to stir up one another unto love and good work. Now listen to me. When a Bible-preached message is given and God speaks your heart about it and you make a decision about it in your heart, which is where it always has to be made, it's not going to kill you for other people to know it. So encourage them. Respond. You say, well, it's it's, uh, scary to go forward. Not if you're going to come forward to say, I love the pastor and I want to support him. That's not scary, is it? If if I said, um, how how many of you would pray for Farm Fest? That's worth praying for, isn't it? A thousand, maybe eleven hundred teenagers. There'll be all kinds of needs. There'll be an evangelist who preaches the Bible faithfully and uh, preaches it powerfully. He'll be there. If there are lost kids there, there'll be kids saved. And if there are backslidden kids there, there'll be kids made... Things right with God. And there's going to be 1,100 people. What's not to like about Farm Fest? Well, it's a lot of work. Big deal. You believe in the Great Commission? Okay, then let's get with the program. Okay, so if if I said, how many people would support Farm Fest? Wouldn't you be in for that? That doesn't mean you have to help make sandwiches. Doesn't mean that. Um, It doesn't mean uh, you have to remember the fruit basket. It doesn't mean that. What it means is, are you for, if I said, how many, how, how many people here will pray for Farm Fest this weekend? Come on, help me out. Okay, I will. Will you pray for Farm Fest? Okay, suppose I said, look, just to be an encouragement, let's just all come to the front and we'll gather around here and pray for Farm Fest. Would that be, oh, I don't know. Uh, going forward is such a scary thing. Uh, come on, would that bother you? Okay, so if God speaks to your heart, then respond to it. Now you say, why is this important? Well, it's important because it really is what the Bible teaches. But I'll tell you another reason it's important. When lost people come to a service who need help and who trust Christ by the grace of God, and they need counsel, it will be easier for them to walk up to the front with you than to walk up to the front with you watching. I'm not talking about making decisions. You already made that. You did that back in row 14. Or wherever. See, I'm talking about you being a help to the service. Preaching is authority, persuasion, and teaching. And I believe with all my heart, preaching always works. I believe it always works. I thank God for Bible preaching. Not every preacher is like every other preacher. Not every preacher is all authority. Not every preacher is all persuasion. Not every preacher is all teacher. And some of us as preachers lack, and I'm serious about this, inability. That's okay. God is the one that produces the effects of the results anyway, isn't he? So if God produces, an effect, or result in your heart and in your life, I would consider the importance of the invitation for letting other people know about it. Now, ironically, after talking about preaching tonight, which I've done, I've got to quit, and talking about the invitation tonight, which is very important, we're not going to have one. Okay, why not? Because I want you to think about it and not express it. I want you to think about the importance of the invitation and your responding to it. But I would like to ask you to do this. In the next month, or in the next, uh, well, let's say the next month. In the next month, would you promise God that if the Lord does, through the preaching of his word, speak your heart specifically about something, that you will respond in an open manner, i.e., come forward, and you do that primarily for the help of the church. Would, and you don't have to raise your hand. Would you do that? Would you do that? Would you say, okay, um, I want to be a help? Now, we don't want to be frivolous. You don't need, I've been in some churches where if you sneeze, 20 people will come forward. That's fine. doesn't mean a whole lot, though, does it? But, you know, I've been with you people twice now, and I would suggest that when you come forward, it means a lot. Doesn't it? So, my deal is, let's help, let's help with the church, let's, let's make this known as a friendly church, a church that brings lost. By the way, there were at least, at least three lost people that I know that I met in the service this morning, and they were all brought by somebody else. And there may have been more, and I may be wrong, some of the people I think are lost, maybe weren't. But there were at least three, and of course, I've already told you about the man I was privileged to speak to. But the deal is, it'd be great if all of these people whose hearts are touched by the work of the Holy Spirit could see a glad, friendly, um, loving church that is also responsive. You know how you people respond? That's just us, okay? You now you respond. You laugh, don't you? You laugh. You think. Um, you you battle with things in your mind. Ah, yeah, that's right. No, that's not right. Yeah, I agree with you. yeah. So you think you do. You respond, um, but probably it'd be good for all of us to be more open and responsive in the invitation.